0: Good evening everyone, so good to have
1: you with us today, and uh, just a reminder that uh, this weekend our services will be the same as normal, uh, 5.30 on Saturday evening and 9 and 11 on Sunday. I'd like to have you turn to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel thirty four. We are now in the last section of the book of Ezekiel, but of course we have to go all the way through chapter 48 to finish, but the last section of this book has to do with the um, nation of Israel coming back to the Lord, being the center of his work and his plan, to strengthen them once again, to rededicate them, as it were, as his people, and uh, that, of course, coming from the very fact that uh, they, have, uh, they have slidden back very far from the Lord throughout all of their history, of course, but, but God loves them with an everlasting love. And all the rest of this wonderful prophecy, though it's been very heavy, as we'll see tonight as we look at uh, this particular chapter, at least part of it tonight. What we saw last time, of course, had to do with the watchman and uh, the reinstituting of uh, Ezekiel as a watchman. Today we look at shepherds. We've already seen in, the, in, in this chapter as well, as, I'm sorry, in this book as well as in Isaiah and especially in Jeremiah, how God deals with false shepherds. Shepherds are really important to the Lord because he has raised up the leaders as himself being a shepherd, as we'll see tonight. So we begin reading here in verse 1 of chapter 34. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel, that do feed themselves, should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat, and you clothe you with the wool, you kill them that are fed, but you feed not the flock. The diseased have you not strengthened, neither have you healed that which is sick, neither have you bound up that which was broken. Neither have you brought again that which was driven away. Neither have you sought that which was lost. But with force and with cruelty have you ruled them. And they were scattered because there is no shepherd. And they became meat to all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and upon every high hill. Yea, my flock was scattered upon all the face of them. I'm sorry, upon all the face of the earth and none did search or seek after them As I said in our previous study of chapter 33, we were once again called to consider the responsibility of the watchman and the witness of the watchman But also to witness the recommissioning of Ezekiel as a watchman of Israel the watchman was to serve the people in times of danger and warn them of impending doom. But the passage before us here tonight calls us to take a look at the shepherd who is to care for the people day after day. A watchman would rise up when there was the uh, coming of of some great uh, threat. The shepherd had to be a shepherd every day. And they were to care for the people every day. The fact is that we need both in the church. Pastors of today have the dual responsibility. And by the way, the word pastor really is just the uh, Latin word for shepherd. But pastors of today have that dual responsibility of being a watchman and a shepherd. If we are serious and dedicated to our calling, we are to teach God's word faithfully and we are to teach it completely. It isn't for us to pick and to choose what we think is helpful or comfortable or entertaining or encouraging or even culturally inclusive while leaving out what we would think is offensive or painful or negative or or too prophetic as some who say that those who teach prophecy and and the end times are preaching political positions, too supportive of the modern state of Israel, and trying to force the coming of Jesus and the pre-tribulation rapture of the church on those who believe otherwise. But is it any wonder that much of the church today has really left its first love, which is really heart devotion to Jesus Christ. A heart devotion to Jesus Christ, not only by individuals in the church, but by the church collectively. The church of Ephesus, as, as Jesus points out in the book of Revelation, chapter two, the book of Ephesus, or I should, I should say, the church of Ephesus was, was, a, was a strong church, organizationally. It was a strong church and a, and a church that did great works But you can be a church that does great works and you can also leave your first love. You focus so much on the works, you focus so much on possibly even the credit that you get for uh, the works that you do. And, And you've left your love and devotion for Jesus Christ. And they were set up for condemnation if they didn't change their way. That's what Jesus said. Those were the words he used. He commended them for the way that they stood up against those who were teaching false doctrines and all. But he says, but I have this against you. And he stated a condemnation to a church that was organizationally strong. But they had failed and, and, and had lost being what, was, what is called an organism a living thing, a church is a living thing because a church is made up of people, the church isn't the building. And Sometimes we are so concerned about the building that we forget what we're here for, what we're here about, what we're here to do. So many in the church today have left their first love by either setting aside God's word for man's ideas and concepts or by watering it down through less than accurate Bible translations that may be readable but are not faithfully or literally translated. And then there are those who eventually make it their aim to fleece the flock of God rather than to feed it, which is where we are in our text today. The shepherds that Ezekiel was supposed to address were the leaders in Israel, both the civil leaders And the religious leaders. And they were being indicted by God for not shepherding the flock of God that he had entrusted to them. It came down to the fact that they were more interested in themselves. They were more interested in what they could receive and take due to their positions over the people. Instead of what the Lord desired and commanded them to do for the people. Because they were to care for. They were to watch over. They were to guard. They were to protect. They were to feed and they were to tend God's flock. That hasn't been different from the beginning. Whether with the children of Israel or or with the church. When we begin to consider what we can get out of this kind of work as it were and we've got the wrong kind of heart to begin with. Because it isn't what we can receive and take due to our positions. A shepherd is just that, a shepherd. But the shepherds of Israel at that time, they were false shepherds. And all they considered was that they would add to their own pockets at the people's expense. After the resurrection of Jesus, he met with his disciples by the Sea of Galilee and and the disheartened Peter was there. The Peter that had denied Jesus three times before the crucifixion. And now Jesus had died had been buried and was risen again and happened to be near his disciples in Galilee in fact, preparing them a breakfast. They were out fishing and Peter was with them. And when they came back with A very specific catch of 153 fish. I wish we could talk about that tonight, we'll do that another time. Peter would be invited by Jesus to have a one-on-one meeting. This humiliated disciple meeting with his Lord We're told in John 21, verses 15 through 17. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Do you you love me more than all of your fellow disciples? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. First of all, it makes us wonder, what is the hard motivation of a person who is being called to be a pastor? Because obviously that's what Jesus was calling Peter to become and to do feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. We either love him or we love ourselves. Peter came to understand the value of the words of Jesus to him concerning the feeding of God's sheep. And and we see it in his letter to the church, specifically to the elders uh, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. You have to tie all of this together in the heart and the mind of this this apostle. There he was humiliated because he had denied his Lord three times. Now Jesus puts him in a position to say to him three times, I love you. And the only response that Jesus has then is feed my sheep. But Peter, now under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit, called to preach the gospel, called to to lead the church as a pastor, as as a shepherd. He says, the elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder. He says, I'm not above you. I'm not one to deserve any kind of... applause or status above you all he says i am a fellow elder i am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed for he he was there when jesus appeared with moses and elijah on the mount of transfiguration he saw the glory of jesus and he saw jesus resurrected He said, feed the flock of God, just as Jesus told him to feed the sheep. He said, you feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. Not by constraint, not being forced to do it, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, not not for the money, as it were. But of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage—not as if you are over people and you walk with some some gait of of, of, of importance or 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 wearing the gowns or the the, the robes of some status. No. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. Being an example with your life. Not becoming somebody different because you put something on your head or on your, over your clothes. And this is coming from Peter, who has actually been declared the first pope. He would tell you otherwise. As a matter of fact, that's what he's telling you here. Then he says, and when the chief shepherd. You see, we as as pastors and elders and servants in the church, we're not the shepherds, we're the under shepherds. He's the chief shepherd. When the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. The importance of being faithful to the things that we hear and see about feeding the flock of God, not doing it under constraint, but willingly doing it, not for money, but doing it of a ready mind, doing it from the mind and the heart, you know, that says, this is my calling because God has put me in this position, neither as being lords over God's heritage. As if we can tell you what to do, who to marry, when to, when to go here, where to go. Because, because that's happened too. There were movements a year, years ago called the shepherding movement where there were certain pastors and leaders or elders that would actually tell people you, who to marry and who to do what. Crazy. But you stay faithful to the word and there's a crown for you. The understanding that we have to have here tonight is that the Lord God himself is pictured in the scriptures as the shepherd of his people. Consider Psalm 23, what David says in verses 1 through 3, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, he leadeth me beside the still waters, he restoreth my soul, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He says, "David is my," or David says, "God is my shepherd." The Lord is my shepherd, and if He's the shepherd, then the flock belongs to Him. Psalm eighty, verse one says, "Give ear, O shepherd of Israel," is speaking to God. "Give give ear, O shepherd of Israel, that thou leadest Joseph like a flock, that thou dwellest between the cherubim, shine, thou that dwellest between the cherubim, shine forth." Well, who dwells between the the cherubim? In the tabernacle. The cherubim that are over the Ark of the Covenant. That's called the Bema Seat. Who is it? It's Jesus. We're told in Isaiah 40, verse 11, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. Jeremiah as well in Jeremiah 31 verse 10 says, Hear the word of the Lord, O you nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, He that scattereth Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. And of course, the words of Jesus in John chapter 10 remind us that he is God the shepherd. Jesus says in John 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. What we have to remember is that Jesus says, I am, ego eimi, I am the good shepherd. He is the shepherd. That giveth his life for the sheep. In verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. We we spent a considerable amount of time in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, talking about Jesus as the Good Shepherd. A considerable amount of time. We were there a long time. It needed to be established in our minds and in our hearts who the true shepherd is. And all of this I've said to lay a foundation as to the nature and the character of any shepherd called upon by by the Lord to fulfill such a significant and such a serious vocation. We, we, We know the feeding is primarily the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. We know that from the Word of God itself. I want you to consider for a moment that in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 15, Paul says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some Pastors and teachers. And by the way, there's, it's, it's not to have two different groups. It's really one group. Pastor, teachers. Pastors and teachers is, is really, in the, in the Greek, a, 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 a singular thought. Pastors and teachers for the perfecting or the completing of the saints. For the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect or complete man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine that's like saying with every wind of teaching and there are all kinds of teachings out there there are all kinds of winds blowing with all sorts of things being said, this is the truth and this is the truth and we're gonna run here and we're gonna run there and we go back and forth and we never grow, or I say we, but those who go in these directions never grow in maturity in Christ. Carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, interesting word. What do we say about those guys who are illusionists? They have sleight of hand. How many illusionists are in the church today? By the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. They misinterpret the Word of God. They do it on purpose, of course. They twist the scriptures. They twist the Word. They give you only portions. They make you believe it means one thing when when you put it in context, it means something totally different. It means what God wants it to mean in full context. But notice verse 15, but speaking the truth in love. It's nice to say things, but what Paul means here is speaking the truth, which is the word of God. You speak it in love, and may, when you do so, they may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So speaking the truth in love is not just about being an honest person, which you ought to be anyway, (laughs) but it's about speaking the truth, speaking the truth of God's word, because everybody else is trying to twist it and make it say what what they want it to mean. This is the reason why Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The word for study here, some of your translations may say be diligent to show yourself approved unto God. But really it's just the fullness of the understanding is be diligent in studying the word of God so that you be a workman that, don't, that doesn't need to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth rightly setting the word in place verse by verse word by word later on in that same chapter Paul tells Timothy in verse 24 and the servant of the Lord must not strive but be gentle unto all men apt or able to teach patient as a shepherd a shepherd that is patient with his people. Some of you might say, you know, Charlie, you repeat yourself time and time and time and time again. You know why? So I'm patient with you. You may not get it today, but hopefully you get it later because I want to come back at, at you with it. You, you understand the point? A shepherd does the same thing, patient. Sometimes some correction has to come. But it's going to come from the Word of God. It's going to say, look, here's what it says. Check your heart. Check where you're at. I'm not there to beat you over the... I don't buy the biggest Bibles to beat beat you over the head with them. I buy big Bibles because I can't see. You know, I need the big letters and all of that. But it isn't to beat you. I have seen folks, I have seen churches deteriorate, fall apart to nothing. When a pastor had left a church, a particular church in town, had established a, a, a pretty nice church, good people and, on all, he left it to someone who had kind of been his understudy and, 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 and whatnot, but that person took that that church and began to beat the sheep, call people out by name in congregation, rather than just teach the word of God. And the more that he beat the sheep, the more they ran, and they scattered, and that church fell apart. It was so painful, painful to see. And I'm sure some of them left bitterly, others left confused. Others found places where they could actually be loved. I would hope that most of them would, but it's hard to say. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, the same book, chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. In other words, it is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine. First thing, doctrine, teaching. For reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. But I think in this letter to Timothy, it's what we read in the heart of Paul to Timothy, the last words that he gives, that becomes really the last words of Paul before he is taken and executed for the, gospel, for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the words that he begins in chapter four, verses one through four. I charge thee, he says to Timothy, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick or the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. He says to him, preach the word. Preach the word. The idea is to proclaim The word completely. Be instant or ready at all times. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine that can only come by the teaching of the word of God and the preaching of the word of God. And notice why, verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. The time's here. This is the time. People aren't enduring sound doctrine today. They're going around with itching ears, wanting to hear just what they want to hear. They don't like what they hear, they go someplace else. The time will come when they will not not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts, you see, Shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. I tell you, there's a lot of fables out there masquerading as truth in what is called churches or congregations. Even James would chime in on the issue of teaching from, from an interesting perspective. In James chapter 3, verse 1, he writes, My brethren, be not many masters or teachers. The word is didaskalos. Be not many teachers, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. there's not only a tremendous responsibility, but there's an even greater accountability before God to teach his word right. And so with these things in mind, let's consider the false shepherds that are being indicted by the Lord through the prophet Ezekiel, because we know that corruption was everywhere in Israel. At that time, corruption was everywhere uh, in Judah. And where was Judah? Judah was now being taken into captivity in Babylon and had been already over time. But because of the corruption in, in, in Jerusalem especially, they had been taken into captivity fully now for 70 years. Both the civil and and religious leaders had no real concern for the sheep of the flock. They they took advantage of every possible opportunity to enrich themselves. And I've got to tell you that Ezekiel had had, had been uh, preaching to the Jews that were already in captivity. And they were still believing in the false prophets. So you see the mindset that he was having to deal with. Because the people were still taking advantage uh, of every possible opportunity for themselves. And while they should have had a deep concern for God's people, they cared nothing for God's people until it was too late. If you look at verse 3, we see it as a metaphor. It says, you eat the fat and you clothe you with the wool, you kill them that are fed but you feed not the flock. He says, you know, verse, verse 3 is a metaphor here of the leaders gleaning all the benefits but not fulfilling any of their responsibilities. And, and the way we know it's a metaphor is because consider that the, the three staple byproducts of sheep and goats. The three staple byproducts from the goats was milk and curds. From the sheep, it was wool. And, of course, from both, it was the meat. What does it say? You eat the fat, you clothe with wool, you, you kill them that are fed, you know, the, but you feed not the flock. So all the products of the sheeps and the goats, all the products of the sheep were taken by these leaders for themselves. And they took the best of everything. They took the best of everything, yet they refused to feed and to clothe the needy. They lived extravagantly while the people around them were hungry, they were naked, and they were sick. The sad thing is that the Lord is speaking to the church today as well. There are a number of so-called evangelists and ministers fleecing their own flocks so they can have the best food, that they can wear the latest in fashion drive the fanciest of vehicles, and live in mansions while many of their own people in their congregations are suffering. Mansions. Can't you wait? The Lord said, hey, I'm building mansions for you. I'm not here on earth. <laughs> it's, sad to, it's sad to see this. It's sad to see, you know, how people do these investigative reports on televangelists today. And they, and they try to, you know, kind of explain, you know, how they, they really need this. You know, they need, you know, three or four uh, Gulfstream jets, you know, to get from here to there. Those are expensive planes, by the way. <laughs> if you know anything about aviation, man, you know those things, man. They're, they're the cream of the crop. They're, they're, they're top. They're, they're even more expensive than Lear jets, you know. Or they, or they are the same, whatever. Fleece their flocks. But woe to them! Scriptures are being clear. Woe to them if they don't give the entirety of their. You know, in other words, from, 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 these, uh, from these evangelists and, 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 and so-called pastors, woe to the people if they don't give the entirety of their retirement checks to these ministries. A lot of them f- feel this guilt. I mean, you know, they, they hear the, the pastor go on and on and on. In some of these churches, they, they take more than one offering a, a, a day, more than one offering at one service. Oh my two or three offers until, hey, we're we're not, you know, we're not here, you know, we we hear too many, too many pennies in the offering. We better do this again. Take out your checks. Let's wave your checkbooks at everybody, you know. Let's wave them to the Lord. Let's write the biggest check. Now you didn't do it the first offering, we're we'll gonna take another one. Band's gonna play, do some more playing, so you can, you know. Ha <sighs> We take one, one offering, right? We take one offering on Sunday and Saturday, that's it. We don't to tell you about it, we just do it. and we go on. It's part of our service, but it's not the most important part. I watched, I watched a televangelist at their own church. The offering took 15 minutes. The people kept coming and bringing a, and, and putting, you know, money on and on. And the band kept playing, and they wouldn't stop until more people came and, and, and laid the money down on the steps of the, of the going up to the platform. I, I, and I thought, my goodness, that, that's really raking it in. I kept thinking, where's the steps here, you know? Right. Weird. Sad. sad. They might even tell their people that they don't have enough faith unless they give. But woe woe to them that tell you that you won't get into heaven unless you tithe to them. That's happened as well. But the issue of giving in the church is not the problem. It is the leader's abuse of God's command to give. Second Corinthians chapter nine verses six and seven. Paul makes it very clear to the church in Corinth. This I say: He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, you know, not under uh, compulsion or of necessity. He says, for God loves a cheerful giver. So we know that we know that giving is a part of the church. It's not a big deal. I mean, you can make it a big deal if you want, but it's not. It's not you know, but, it, but even Paul says it, it's something of, of, of importance. But in Paul's first letter to Timothy, we already looked at 2 Timothy, but if you go to 1 Timothy, this is what he exhorts Timothy. Now remember that Timothy, when he's being sent out by Paul, was sent out to Ephesus to be the pastor of that church. So listen to what he says in verse 6 of, of 1 Timothy 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Now notice he doesn't say money is the root of all evil. He says the love of money. The love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith. Notice. And pierced themselves through with many sorrows. There are a lot of uh, proverbs in, in, in our Bibles, you know, that... Talk about, you know, man, it's, it's, it's better to be poor and happy than to be rich and miserable all the time. If, if I can give you my, <laughs> my little interpretation of those verses. <laughs> but thou, O man of God, listen to what he says, O man of God, I think that's significant, that he says to a, a young pastor, but you, O man of God, flee these things. And follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Follow after those things. Remember that Peter said we are to be examples to the flock. Examples in what? Examples in righteousness. Examples in godliness. Examples in faith. Examples in love. Examples in patience. Examples in meekness. Not look at my checkbook. Look how much I get by, you know, fleecing the flock. Look at my all of my possessions. Look at what I get for fleecing the flock. Do you think that this is going to be a good time before the Lord for some of these guys? Verse 12, Paul says to young Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. What does Paul say to him at the very end? I have fought the good fight of faith. He's in a prison cell. Or at least he's, well, he was in a you know, house arrest, but he was in chains and ready to get executed. Fight the good of fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. That, hey listen, don't lay hold on things. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Paul earlier on said to him, us with contentment is great gain. What is required for contentment in a person's life, especially a believer's life? What is required for contentment? What makes us content? If we left everything in the world to come to Christ, what then makes us content? The Apostle Paul puts the false shepherd and the charlatan to shame with these words from his prison cell in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. Listen to what Paul says. If you want to know what is required for contentment, listen to this heart. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me has flourished again. He says to this church, you you have provided for me in my time in prison. You know, in those days, uh, in prisons, if you didn't get somebody to come from the outside to give you food, you'd die of hunger. They could care less for you. They could care less about you. If you didn't have somebody that cared for you in prison and brought you food at least once a week, you die in prison. He says, wherein you all were also careful that you lacked but, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want. He says, For I have learned, now listen to this, in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Whatever state I'm in, mean, he's not talking about Texas or New Mexico or anything like that. Y'all understand? Talking about the state, the condition of his place, the condition of his heart, the condition of his life, in whatever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased. Do you know what it means to be abased? It means to be humbled. It means to be run low as a river in drought. Much like the Rio Grande is most of the time. Running low. I know how both to be abased and I know how to abound, I know how to overflow. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then he says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Do you see the context of this? I see people wearing bands that say that, you know, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Great. Great. If you understand what the context is, that you've learned to be abased, you've learned to be brought low, and you've learned how to deal with being overflowing. God blesses. If I have nothing, I have everything because I have Jesus. I have everything I need in him. But but I'm burdened by by those who would just take a a verse out of Scripture. I can do all things, and you know I've, I've seen the rallies, you know, where they say, "Let's all say this together." I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. What can you do? You can go here, you can go there, you can receive this, you can receive that, you can accomplish this, you can accomplish that, you can do all these things. But Paul says, "I can do all things. I can be a river running low in drought, and I can be a river overflowing." I've learned how to to be abased and I've learned how to abound because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's get back to our our text to close this portion of our our study out. Let's go back to verse 4 for just a moment. The diseased have you not strengthened, neither have you healed that which was sick. Neither have you bound up that which was broken. Neither have you brought again that which was driven away. Neither have you sought that which was lost. But with force and with cruelty have you ruled them. In other words, look at, look at that whole list. You know, all the things that you should have been doing for your people, you didn't do it, a bit of it, any of it. But instead, you, you, you beat them down. You were cruel with them. And they were scattered because there's no shepherd. And they became meat to all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains, and upon every high hill, yea, my flock was scattered upon all the face of the earth, and none did search or seek after them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord, as I live. Have you ever thought about that statement, as I live, saith the Lord? Because you know what? He lives forever. I mean, he's eternal As I live, as long as I live, and I'm going to live a long time, as long as I live, he says, saith the Lord, surely because my flock became a prey, and my flock became meat to every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, neither did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves, and fed not my flock. Therefore, as I live, therefore, O you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hand." Every time you see the phrase, my flock, I'd underline it in your Bible. I did in mine. I will require my flock at their hand and cause them to cease from feeding the flock. Neither shall the shepherds feed themselves anymore for I will deliver my flock from their mouth that they may not be meat for them. And by the way, he says it also earlier on. Neither did my shepherds search for my flock and fed not my flock verse 8 so these false shepherds did not tend to the wounds of God's sheep you know we, we make ourselves available to help to counsel to pray with we believe that much of the counsel that we can give is usually given from this pulpit because it it's the word of God, and we believe the word of God to be powerful and, and strong and living and sharper than any two-edged sword. But at times we have to, you know, we see the beaten down from time to time. We, we, have to, we have to pray with them. We have to find out what, what they need. And we try to do our best to take care of those matters as God gives us wisdom, as God gives us strength, and even as God gives us um, the wherewithal to do that sometimes to give out of our own pockets, if necessary. But there are those that hide behind bodyguards and I understand the times in which we live, Uh, but sometimes we make out ourselves uh, with with a greater self-importance than we really have. I don't consider myself that important other than what God has given me, the gifts to do for you. I, I weep sometimes if I feel that I've let someone fall through the cracks. I don't like that. I don't hide behind the other pastors here. We're human. We make our mistakes as well. But I pray every day that i be faithful to God and to his word. They didn't go out searching for the lost sheep. That in Israel was, they were responsible for God's people, but instead they ruled over them. They ruled over God's flock. Do you think God's not going to be somewhat miffed about that with these guys standing before them? They, they did it with force and cruelty. The sheep became prey to the beasts of the field. The nation surrounding them and the, and the enemy's lies and deceptions. That's going on today still. The enemy's doing all he can to, to uh, disrupt your walk in the Lord, to, to, to steal your faith away, to get you to distrust God as he tried to do with Job as he tried to get Job to curse God. I continue to wonder how easy it is for some ministers to just have a disregard for the word of God and its importance to the life of the church, it's as if all the surveys church groups and parachurch organizations have taken of church members and what they would want in their congregations, if all of that was taken to heart instead of providing a healthy feeding of God's Word, you know what they would rather do? They'd rather have entertainment. Please take hold, please take hold of Paul's passionate heart in this statement that he makes to the Ephesian elders that he was now leaving to shepherd the church in Ephesus. Take hold of this, because some people are obviously not reading Acts chapter 20. They're not reading into the very heart of the person that gave his life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Acts 20, I want you guys can read the whole chapter later, but just go to verse 26, where Paul says, Wherefore I take, to you, uh, wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, He says that in light of being a watchman. But then he says this, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. He says that as a shepherd. I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed, to feed, to feed the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood. Who does it belong to? Who does the church belong to? It belongs to him, not to us. And then he says, for I know this, and this is painful. I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock, also of your own selves within you, leaders of the church, within you shepherds of the flock also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them and therefore watch this is is a classic example of, of, of Paul speaking to shepherds that are also to be watchmen Watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Why don't they read that? Yea, You yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Feed the flock of God but you feed the flock the Word of God. It will keep them healthy. It will keep them nourished. I hope and pray that all of you who come and spend time here to read and to study the Word are being healthy and well nourished because those who are fed the Word of God will reproduce as believers. And the best thing is we'll be satisfied, we'll be satisfied. When we read and study and take in the Word of God, I mean, what a joy it is. I want more of the Word of God every day. I struggle when I, you know, I've, I can't get to all the reading that I want to do. Am I alone in that? I mean, I, I struggle. I don't, I don't like to, you know, I don't say, oh, i gotta take a. I got to take a day off from reading the scriptures. Yeah, I'm, Lord, I'm going to take a day off. <laughs> I'd be like "Say, man, there's no lunch, uh, breakfast, lunch, or supper for me. I don't need it. <laughs> Look at me. I need the word more. Satisfies. When difficult times come, they won't be scattered as sheep without a shepherd. They can stand on the truth of God's words. And as for the shepherds that feed only themselves, the Lord will hold them accountable for their hearts of greed and lack of compassion. That's verse verse seven and following. They were the reason for Judah's captivity. They were the reason for Jerusalem's destruction. May I share with you just one last verse, and that is Mark chapter 6, verse 34, because I want you to see what Jesus does according to this gospel. And I want it to be your encouragement to stay in God's word and to stay studying in God's word. It says, And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people... And was moved with compassion toward them because they were a sheep not having a shepherd and notice what he did and he began to teach them many things. What do you think Jesus was going to teach them if it wasn't the Word of God? Shall we pray? Father thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for keeping us honest about these things. About how we Lord are to do those things that honor and bless you. But the only way we know what to do is is to learn it from you from your word your word is a lamp unto our feet a light unto our path your word is as a salve to our hearts and our souls your word is healing to us it is what satisfies our very heart because of the hope that is, that is within it and the hope that is put into our hearts that lies within us. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. To be patient with us, Lord, when we've gone astray. And how today, Lord, we we just need you to stir our hearts and remind us, Lord, that you never leave us nor forsake us and that you're with us always, even to the end of the world. How thankful, Lord, we are for that. We come to you now, Father, for your strength to be with us as we begin a new day tomorrow, Help us to rest and be ready for that. We pray for the Dominguez family as they're uh, going to uh, bury their, their mom, uh, Dionysia Dominguez. We pray, Father, that you strengthen them through this, uh, through this time. We ask your blessings. Now in Jesus' name, Amen, Amen. Shall we stand? <clears throat> Just want to mention uh, we weren't uh, uh, able to make mention of this, but uh, Hector Dominguez's mother. Some of you know Hector and. Uh, um, and Irma Dominguez, uh, Hector's mom passed away. She was 95. She came to the church. She received the Lord. And we're doing a, a short, a small service tomorrow morning at 9:30 next door here at, uh, Mount Carmel in case, uh, you're able to come. Uh, and then almost immediately, we're going to go to the Mount Carmel cemetery for, uh, uh, for interment there. So, uh, but keep, uh, keep them in prayer if you're not able to come. But, uh, We weren't able to announce it uh, uh, earlier this week, so uh, whatever uh, you can do, please do so. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and uh, give you peace. Have a blessed and wonderful evening and uh, a wonderful rest of the week. And, of course, this weekend we are... uh, giving thanks to the Lord for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, again, regular service times, Saturday and Sunday. I look forward to seeing you. If uh, you yeah, family that uh, don't have a church at home, uh, bring them with you. We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to hope and pray that they will come to know the wonders of being a believer in Jesus Christ. So, God bless you all and encourage each other now as you leave this place.
0: on